Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Author Friendship Circle writing seminar. I'm Soren Studios, author of The Omnimage, and the host for today's seminar on high fantasy. Joining me today are fellow authors, Nagillian. Hello. The Shing Pen. Hello, everyone. Miss Reality Bites. Hello, hello. And Scully. Hello. Now, before we get into specifically discussing high fantasy, let's first take a look at the fantasy genre itself. It's a rather vague genre comprising of many subgenres. Some of those subgenres even have subgenres -gen sub of themselves. Uh, the fantasy subgenres I'll be discussing today are high, low, epic, sword and sorcery, heroic, dark, and grimdark. While I do recognize that there are many other subgenres of fantasy, these are the main ones I'll be discussing during the seminar. First thing I will mention is that you can actually have a singular novel that falls under either high or low fantasy, or neither actually, and contains some of the other subgenres mentioned as well. However, your novel cannot be both high and low fantasy. So what's the difference between the two? The fundamental difference between them is their setting. Low fantasy takes on place on Earth in some form or another, whereas high fantasy takes place on a completely fictional world of your own creation. Low fantasy is typically more about realism with little reliance on magic. High fantasy worlds are steeped in magic and changes many facets of how the world works. Now some people believe that epic fantasy and high fantasy are the same thing. While very similar, the major difference between the two is that epic fantasy focuses more on the scope and scale of the story and often entails conflicts that threaten the entire world or universe. They usually have an extremely large cast of characters to complement the rich, detailed world you create. High fantasy focuses more on the characters themselves rather than the epic scale of events that occur. It focuses on how your characters deal with the events as they unfold. Now, it's quite common to combine these two, which is why they are often confused. However, it's easily possible to have a high fantasy that is not an epic fantasy and vice versa. Next, we have sword and sorcery and heroic fantasy, which are often, but not always, subgenres of other fantasy subgenres. <laughs> heroic fantasy is typically an action-adventure that normally follows a hero who may or may not have supporting characters to help them along the way. It fits somewhere between high and low fantasy, with the scale not being not as grand and maybe not focusing entirely on the hero's personal goals. Then we have Sword and Sorcery. A good example is the Conan the Barbarian series. They are typically much less developed than heroic fantasies and lead toward more exotic descriptions to keep the reader's attention instead. The protagonists are usually morally gray compared to heroic fantasy where the main character must be morally good. While heroic fantasy can fall under epic, high, or low fantasy, Sword and Sorcery novels are typically less than epic and rarely high fantasy because of their lesser developed nature. But they do line up well with low fantasy. Personally, I'm not a big fan of sword or sorcery or low fantasy, but that's just me. Next we get into grimdark and dark fantasy. Dark fantasy's main defining attribute is its gloomy atmosphere. It typically includes a gothic type of horror written without purposely intending to scare the reader, but rather explores the dark and frightening side of our nature, psychology, and the uncanny. Good doesn't always win, and the main characters themselves aren't always good. In dark fantasy, there will probably be plenty of times 
plenty of themes that will be bleak, pessimistic, gritty, and or graphic in nature. Uh, Nagillion, seeing as you're the author of an ongoing dark fantasy novel, could you please tell us a bit more about the genre? Well, um, one way that I definitely like to describe dark fantasy as is when someone dies, they die. And um, as people hearing this might think, well, of course when someone died, they die. But in very light fantasies, or fantasies you see everywhere, in, especially in modern days, um, when someone dies, it's almost as if they just brush it off and then continue forward. There's not really the psychological trauma, the pain, the feeling of nearly puking upon seeing just someone they know die in front of them. And even if you are an enemy of that person dying, you still feel the trauma of, oh, a life was just taken. Um, and then furthermore, if you are a battle-worn warrior, even if someone dies and you're used to it, there's still the really dark and grim aspect of, oh, I'm supposed to feel something here, but I'm not feeling something. Really plays on the psychological themes of everything. It's just full of melancholic feelings. It's really grim and depressing. Especially with, um, as people might know, the battle of white versus black, like the good and the evil. Here in dark fantasy, you don't really play with that. You play with which one is the darkest of the greys. Everything is grey, there's no good, there's no evil. There's just which one is just darker than the other. And that's just a fight of who is actually the evil one here, who's actually the one who's in the wrong. And that also plays into, for example, which side you're on, which perspective you're on. Um, so just plays a lot with everything is dark. Something happens, everyone feels it, and it's not a positive experience. Alright, thank you for that. Next, uh, we have Grimdark, which uh, is sometimes a subgenre of dark fantasy, but it is more of a violent genre that explores the idea that the actions of a single person can't do much to improve the declining world. That inertia, possibly from evil forces and or temptation, will inevitably ensure everyone's doom. The best you can hope for is a struggle with morally ambiguous heroes to oppose certain forces and maybe rescue some people, giving them a brief respite before it all ends for everyone. Basically, even in its brightest moments, it's still depressing as hell. While you can have a dark, high, or epic fantasy, you cannot have a grim dark, epic, or high fantasy, simply because the forces of evil have basically won, and your characters are just trying to survive until the end. Now, let's go back to exploring high fantasy, which I also include epic fantasy because of how closely related they are. But first, let me blow your mind for a second. To Tolkien's own admission, Middle-earth is an old version of our own Earth. Technically speaking, this makes it a low fantasy, not a high fantasy. Shocking, right? But given the scope of the world, and how different it is than our own, and that it's steeped in magic, I mean, come on, the story centers on a magical ring, there are magical swords, and you have a wizard who reincarnates. The distinct races also lend more towards high fantasy. So, fear not, one minor technicality won't change its status as the father of high fantasy. However, it does go to show just how fuzzy these genre definitions can really be. Now, what do you need for high fantasy? 
you need an invented world and you need to establish its rules while you can do that as your story progresses it's a great idea to plan all this out in advance so you don't create plot holes i think any author worth their salt will have a map of their world it helps you as an author remember where everything is how far apart things are and where the different factions or races reside across your land your readers need to feel like the world exists and be able to picture it in their minds you also need some type of magic system however i'm I'll put a pin in that for the moment and we'll get back to that as it's extremely important. But uh, you also need a central conflict. Now it might not be apparent from the beginning, but there needs to be some greater evil in the world. You may only start with a representative of that evil, but if you are incorporating epic fantasy like most high fantasy does, it'll have to be something world changing such as uh, Taravangian from the Stormlight Archive or the Dark One, Shaitan in the Wheel of Time or Sauron from the Lord of the Rings. Something on that scale. And also, while it's common to create new races or use existing tropes such as dwarves or elves, having non-human races is not a prerequisite for epic or high fantasy. The Lightbringer Saga is a prime example of this and sticks to plain old humans and doesn't rely on other races to add a fantasy element to their story. That said, I've created numerous races for the Omni-Mage because it suited my world, not because I thought it needed it as part of the genre. Next, obviously, you need characters. It's high fantasy. Start with your main character. Most high fantasy series have a coming-of-age type of theme for the main character, but that's not needed. You just need to make sure that the character can develop as the story unfolds, and work towards fighting the great evil. You likely need a romantic interest, or several, and companions that join and support your main character. It's here that I strongly recommend thinking about using multiple POVs. This is a personal preference of mine. Using a system of different POVs allows you to allows your readers to explore the depth of your characters, their own personal motivations, thought processes, and helps to develop your world as you write through their eyes and show your readers how they perceive the world that you've crafted for them. In the Omnimage, I currently have 22 unique points of view. I know some of you are like, whoa, that's a lot. But take a look at the Wheel of Time series. It has 147 unique points of view. And yes, some of you might say, but Soren, that's over the entire series of 14 books. And you're right. However, let me point out to you that some of the individual novels from that series have nearly 50 unique points of view. And it's those varying points of view that allow the author to show all aspects of the world with different perspectives, each giving the reader a new piece of literary treasure. With all that being said, it doesn't mean every named character needs a POV either. If they can shed light on something you need the reader to know, it's worth it. If you need the reader to know intimate details about something going on where the main character isn't located, you probably need a POV for that too. Some POVs might be one-offs, and they're only there to serve a very specific purpose. But you'll have others that your readers will get to know intimately and grow attached to as they follow each of their intertwining stories. For added depth, you can also give characters regional accents reflected in their dialogue. I'll get into dialogue in a little bit, but the dynamics between your characters is extremely important in high fantasy. Make them all connected in one way or another. We have a tapestry of characters who are anywhere from heroic to evil, making sure you have plenty of gray characters in the middle. 
Your characters don't want predictability. They want to be surprised by your character's actions. And by all means, feel free to change how the reader sees your characters. For example, I have a mentally unstable serial killer who kills people because the voices in his head tell him to. However, as his story progressed, the readers are made to feel sorry for him. They might not like him, but he has depth and internal struggles and his own motivations. He's no longer a simple antagonist as he tries to fight against the voices controlling him. Also, before you go killing off a character, make sure the reader actually cares if they die, especially a POV character. If you've done your job well as an author, this won't be an issue. Lastly, for POVs, make sure to monitor your pacing. It can sometimes be a daunting task when you've had several POVs all with their own events going on at the same time that you need to cover. And now that we got the basics of characters down, let's get back to that pin topic, magic. The first thing you want to figure out is what type of magic system you want to exist in your world. Now, I'm not talking about system as in system novel, which is the topic of our last seminar, but more of how magic works in your novel. There are two main types of magic systems. You have hard magic and soft magic. Hard ma magic follows a strict set of rules and limitations. You should never break the rules you set without a very good reason and a proper explanation or your readers may hate you for it. A good example of hard magic is the Allomancy system used in the Mistborn series, which uses the ingestion of minerals to enable magic. As the body consumes those minerals through normal life and the use of magic that relies on them, the caster needs to replenish them in order to continue using magic. It works almost like chemistry with a magical flair, but the rules are hard and set in stone. Soft magic has little to no set rules, much like the magic used in Lord of the Rings. With soft magic, Pretty much anything can happen if you let it. My novel uses a hard magic system, however, I have not explained all the rules to the reader yet. There are a few minor soft elements to it, such as the ability to craft new runes that may have effects that have never se been seen before. However, the risk of making such things is extremely high. If you're unsure how to craft a magic system, I highly recommend checking out some of Brandon Sanderson's lectures on the topic, as he's well known as the magic system guru. We may have a seminar on that topic in the future if there's demand for it. So uh, fellow hosts, can you think of some great magic systems that you've read about in the past? So I've read this uh, series a long time ago, um, about 15 years ago, by Trudy uh, Carnarvon, I can't pronounce the last name, um, and it's called The Magician's Guild, it's got a, it's got a few books in the series and she's got a second series on the same one and I remember when I first read that um, how I was really impressed and the magic system when i read the magic system i didn't know anything about hard or soft magic systems and it just wowed me i was just really intrigued more by the magic system than the actual story and the way she delivered that was she had the main character um go to a magician's guild so like you know harry potter goes to first year at hogwarts so the main character was going to a magician's guild and you were learning the magic system as the main character was learning the magic system and what they could and could not do. And um, and uh, the thing with the, something you mentioned about hard magic is what I think about hard magic systems is they're like physics, except they have their own rules and laws. So if you think about physics, um, you know, for every action, there's an equal option reaction. It, right. It's the same thing when you have a hard magic system. Um, and something else I thought of too is often when I read 
web novel stories or web serial stories and people have their own magic systems they because then if you don't plan it out before you start properly if you don't plan out a progression the most important thing is not just a system but a progression for you especially if you've got a few characters who are getting more powerful what can happen is they can get overpowered too quickly and it can ruin your story and all of a sudden you know instead of having these little fights they're having the, they're throwing these fireballs that can destroy planets and it's just no <laughs> fun at all. yeah i i definitely understand what you're talking about there so anybody else have anything to add to that i'm here to learn <laughs> just kidding like yeah i'm 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 not great at high fantasy and stuff but i love it and whenever i'm writing something i always put fantasy elements into it and right now yeah like uh, scully said if you want to write you know magic system etc you have to prepare from the beginning before you even start the the story maybe because then you can you know you can smooth out the the progression that's something that i struggle doing because i'm a pantser like 98 <laughs> percent. so it's hard because you know i i have this story i have everything planned out but the thing is um like uh, uh, for your information so i'm writing this book it's not high fantasy but it's not also located on earth so it started on earth but actually the main character is a long lost princess from another planet and in this planet they have magic and science you know live side by side so they have space exploration etc but also you know mage that can um you know control elements and stuff and so because i have the story i have the plot and everything I lack is the you know the, the the world building this is something that I'm struggling with and yeah and this this is my 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 problem because I have the story but I I'm not good at those system magic and and etc because I'm not you guys probably I don't even read what what you read um, so it, it's just that I have this story but unfortunately there are some ma magical elements into it because that's what is required so i'm struggling to to make it but yeah uh, i i agree with scully again you have to plan this out but it's also not impossible to to go as you as you as you write this is what i'm doing right now and sometimes looking back i would be like oh wow what that wow you know but but it's 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 a lot of work wish i can spend and this is also the reality bites you know that's my name this is this is the the the, the bad thing is i love this story and i believe i can do so much more with this i can work on the better world building no like right now better i mean like faster i can write uh, a good world i put my heart into it but the problem is this book doesn't make money so i don't have the time <laughs> to dedicate to make this story you know to give this story what it deserves a, a good world building so if i want to do it right for your information this story is like one and a half years old and only five hundred thousand words in while my other book six months old already five hundred thousand because it makes money so i can focus my time you know to just write in that one so this is also a problem with writers doing making money or making art so yeah 
just just sharing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely understand. You're right. So I wish I, I, I can do I can do decent work with this. Not like right now because I want to do it right. I only publish like one or two chapters per week because I want to do it right because I don't have time to put into this work. But if I do, if I did, you know, I can write like, you know, one chapter a day and make it really nice, good quality and stuff. But now if I want to stay in that quality lane, I can only do it like once a week. Oh, yeah. 30 bytes, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for that. And uh, you're right, uh, pouncing is quite hard uh, when you're doing high fantasy because of how in-depth everything is and everything you need to keep. You need to remember everything. Otherwise, you're going to be creating plot holes. Uh, I'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> anyway, um, there's another thing I need to bring up, which is a common issue with high fantasy. Because of how vast the world is and how fantastical it can be, info dumps tend to be commonplace. You should try to your best to avoid info dumping on your readers and just give relevant information as it's needed. I know in your first chapter some level of dumping may be required, but try to make sure it's kept to a minimum or you'll lose your readers, especially on a web novel type platform. Try to convey the info through the actions of your characters if you can. I came from a traditional novel mindset to web novel and have learned to adapt my writing accordingly, trying to keep the best of both traditional and web novel practices so that my novel can bridge the gap between the two. Does anyone have any thoughts on ways to adapt a normal traditional writing style of high fantasy for a serialized novel? Well, um, I did start writing Breaking Worlds and um, maybe if you know like the way that I talked about, the way I've structured, outlined and everything, I do see it um, or did see it as doing a traditional publishing. Everything arc-wise would just be one large chapter um, and then from there on um, I just decided, hey, instead of just having five or six large chapters in traditional publishing. I would instead um, just take each small point, each section that will be happening in those large chapters and then minimize it. So I would um, start with, for example, what do I want to, like the starting scene, okay? Is the starting scene going to be too long for me to do in one serialized published chapter in web novel style? Yes, it is. Okay, then how and which point can I then divide it to have like small cliffhangers on the way as well? Because with web novel, having cliffhangers at the end of every small chapter you have can be really powerful, honestly. Yeah, um, I agree. And as you, yeah, and as you might know now, um, the style in the writing my novel is heavily in the serialized web novel style because most of which isn't web novel style wise, but I'm still doing season published novels. Um, so I'm going to do like whole seasons that's going to be published, a little break in a whole another season. Also because I'm going to have music, graphic, audiobook, um, artworks and everything for each season. I do need that break. But yeah. Yeah, completely understand. Uh, seasons are basically like the web novel equivalent to volumes. So, uh, oh sure, go ahead. Yeah, because you know, I before I wrote in web novel, I never wrote uh, long novels and you know i i wrote like for in traditional way uh long chapters and etc but you know after i found out oh this is how they do it i started doing it 
and I have a, I have a tip for people who wants to try to change their way of writing into web novel type of writing you know serialized and etc of course one we already know that chapters are short and you have to have cliffhangers and etc a good way to help you with that is just write your book like the way you would normally write it you know like if it's gonna be like you know, in a novel everything is very detailed like one day you explain everything you go deep into stuff you know like while in traditional book things can be you know this is not important you just you just skip and then go next into into the next chapter etc and one book consists of only like 50,000 words or 100,000 max uh you if, if it's hard for you to you know it and you would just see okay and then you 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 you, you divide the 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 story that you already write like for example okay chapter one five thousand words you take it and then you you see it you read it and then you rewrite it like like editing your 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 first manuscript this after you see it you're like oh okay i can add more details on this dialogue i can add details on this and this and you know next thing you know suddenly the five thousand manuscript has become like ten thousand or fifteen thousand because you, you you add things into it you make things more detailed i think that the, the most um visible difference between traditional um manuscript and web novel type of manuscript is that you know with web novel you tend to be you know writing in details about stuff um instead of um writing one chapter about how the man and the woman meet you write like five chapters like how when what happened at that time and you know what conversation they have and etc everything becomes more detailed so just write everything like you normally write but and then after that you go back to it as you read you add it and add some more add some more add some more and some more and voila suddenly it's like a lot more words than before yes i completely understand that and that is one of the reasons why uh you're your high fantasy novels are typically some of the longest novels of all novels. <laughs> uh, they ranging usually at the small side uh, for a good high fantasy series uh, at four hundred thousand words, uh, upwards of over eight hundred thousand words. Uh, that can be quite common for the genre, and then having multiple books in the series. So you kind of look at it like that. There's also the fact that the way I personally approached the transition was I started to realize that web novel writing in that format I looked at it like a soap opera I mentioned this before in the first seminar but I'll just bring it up again you look at how soap operas work every episode if you think about it there's not actually a whole lot that goes on in each episode but there's always uh, this cliffhanger that ha comes at the end and there's always a uh, beginning middle and end to it so you just have to write in those little bite-sized portions like a soap opera that just goes on every day for years and years and years. So that is how you eventually progress to those epic length novels where you've got millions of words by the end of it, which is what I'm planning on doing. Um, I, I've set a goal for myself to actually surpass the Wheel of Time's word count of 4.4 million words. It is a very lofty goal <laughs> that will take me years to complete, but I know I have the story to do it. Uh, I might not have the uh, money-making ability with that story because of the genre and it being on web novel, which isn't 
really known for Western high fantasy. It's not one of the popular genres on the platform. But I don't care. The novel is a passion project for me. So I want it to keep going, and it just will. <laughs> I've gone um, currently at 140 or 141 days consecutive publishing now. And I just, every day, without fail, I make sure I get that chapter out. But uh, next, I would like to touch briefly on the importance of world building, which uh, was briefly mentioned earlier. I won't go into detail, as that will be for other seminars to cover. Uh, it's a massive topic that could span several seminars, to be honest. I just wanted to state how imper imperative it is that you are writing, that if you are writing an epic high fantasy, that you make your world feel alive and real. If you can't accomplish that, you really need to wait until we have a seminar on world building when we go into it or read up on it online. Honestly, I would love to host a workshop on the topic, but considering how vast it is, it would take far more time than we have today. However, there is a veritable cornucopia of information on the subject out there if you just search for it. Some of what I'll cover shortly will fall under world building as well. But next, let's actually talk about more about writing high fantasy. The most important first step you can actually take is reading high fantasy. Do your research on novels in the genre, which pretty much goes for writing any genre. <laughs> Uh, examine the settings, the character development, the world's internal logic, including the magic systems they use. I've mentioned a handful of novels during my talk, and I recommend reading them all, particularly The Wheel of Time, if you want to study on multiple POVs and the sheer scope of its world. George R. R. Martin's A Song of uh, Ice and Fire series handles it a bit differently, but it's still another prominent example, despite my dislike of his writing style. Also, please check out the first Mistborn trilogy by Brandon Sanderson and the Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks for some excellent hard magic systems. For soft magic, there's of course Lord of the Rings and also A Song of Fire and Ice, or Ice and Fire. But also, I need to mention the Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steven Erickson for soft magic. It's an excellent series you should all read, especially if you're interested in high fantasy. Next, we'll go back to the setting aspect and how important it is that your fictional world has a strong sense of place. If the reader can't picture the character's environment, then your novel may have, feel a bit hollow or dry. Giving detail to your world is as important as the characters themselves, showing the contrast between them between, with different landscapes, atmospheres, and how they change over time as your novel progresses. This will allow your readers to feel like the world is real. Next, we'll discuss high fantasy cliches and tropes. Lovers of the genre will likely come to expect certain tropes in your novel. However, it's important to incorporate original ideas as well as or your readers will put you down for the lack of original content. Mythical creatures such as dragons, for example, are commonly used in high fantasy novels. It doesn't mean you can't use them as well, but try to break free of the stereotypical molds and do something different with them. Try to sub subvert the reader's expectations and create a strong sense of your world as a distinct place, not a collection of cookie-cutter ideas thrown together. Now this goes for all your characters as well. You need to make sure they are complex and diverse. Lesser fantasy novels often rely on obvious traits that are tied to class, race, or social bearing. Of course the warrior is brave. Of course the princess or elf is graceful or chaste. 
In real life, people are often often surprise us by holding contradictory beliefs or behaving differently to how stereotyping would let us to assume. The warrior who tears into battle might run bellowing from a snake or a rat in reality. No one is consistent all the time. In high fantasy novels, characters surprise not only each other, but themselves too. Start by figuring out what your character wants, what your character needs, your character's personality traits, how your character thinks, how your character feels, what big events are in your character's life and backstory, and how, how do they mold them, your character's quirks. Physical appearance questions can come next. Explore their body as if you were a scientist examining a new species. Jot down every detail and speculate every scar or other feature you give them. For example, uh, in my novel, The Omnimage starts with Alora, a teenage girl who is missing her left arm. Now you're wondering, what happened? Why is she missing that arm? She's missing her arm because of a failed magical experiment she did when she was younger. But that's not really why she's missing her arm. Alora's missing arm because I wanted her to have that struggle in life. Kind of makes me a dick, doesn't it? But that struggle is important and plays a big part in who she is and who she'll become. She has other physical traits and behaviors that also make her stand out from the crowd, and it's those kinds of things that will make your readers attached to your characters. Going back to tropes and cliches, can uh, any of my fellow hosts here uh, name some good examples of tropes and cliches that are overdone, but that you've seen refreshed in a new way? Um, well, maybe the um, antagonist is always, the first thing that comes out of their mouth when they meet the protagonist is is always negative. They're always unlikable. Um, um, so it's very rare that you have uh, an antagonist that is likable. Like I think uh, um, uh, the Black Panther where the antagonist was a killer I forget his name, Killer something. He was actually quite likable. I um, actually liked the antagonist in that story. He had a good, he had a good reason for doing what he was doing. Right. Um, but but what I wanted to talk about too is what you mentioned before about when you're playing your character traits and everything. Um, this is something from I learned from Brandon Sanderson actually. The most <laughs> important thing when you're creating a character is their flaw, their flaws or flaw singular. Yes. It's the one thing the reader remembers the most. It's everyone should have a flaw. No one's perfect. And it's how you make them very distinctive. Like, as you said, the missing arm, what you were doing there was creating a flaw for your main character. But I, I have flaws for all my characters. They all have flaws. And they can be simple. They don't need to be spectacular, like having a missing arm. They could be just um, they have a very narrow point of view on something. Or or they're just, uh, what's the word for it? I, I don't know. They can't swim. Just little things. It could be, it could be anything, really. That's uh, a great point and a very true statement. Um, she's not even the main character. <laughs> she's, uh, well, she is in the very beginning, but I'm not going to get into spoilers there. <laughs> but yes, uh, flaws are definitely important. You want your characters to feel real, like people, like normal people. No one's perfect. And if they are, well, then we obviously haven't dug far enough to see what their flaw is. I think, by the way, like giving him like you had mentioned like giving them like a specific and like even a small kind of thing that may look small like we have discussed in the past like creating <coughs> characters and for for and we have created characters with suggestions of others and one character that you have mentioned before the the, the, the serial killer in a sense who is listening voice yes think, like yes this is Rudigar. a thing but 
it is like a common thing also to at some point like he's a bad guy but at some point like you realize like is he really the bad guy the bad guy or he's just a victim himself or having like the you know like the the princess who may be like the spoil the spoiled plot that later seems to become like yeah maybe you can say maybe it's gonna be something more and like a character that you have like we've had discussed and uh like giving an accent to the character which is hard <laughs> to do <laughs> in the writing but you have actually had succeeded in a very in a very good way is bringing like the the character to have like its own separation from others from others and um even the way that they dressed or thing like that maybe have like the unique thing like uh wearing grasses it's something like in the fantasy thing like okay like it's not like a common thing maybe uh but in magic yeah creating glasses maybe not that good but uh do they need glasses or they wear it for style or whatever it's a common right thing to... yes so um but yeah, also like in mine, even if my thing isn't like quite high fantasy or fantasy, like I try to think of a way like when introducing new characters, even if it is like for the chapter, like creating like a goblin that is a gatekeeper um, in the next floor that they're going. Like I try to give them like in my mind, having like a background of themselves and maybe have like a as some kind of like even just a name to be like giving um, an elven like name to a goblin that gives you like oh why that what why that could be um it may be something that could be brought later but it also adds a bit more to the reader thinking of there are many things that happen in the like not all the goblins are goblins not all the elves are elves not all the dwarves are dwarves there are things that may have led to a different way and like the the possibilities are endless absolutely you, you got to take that uh i mean you might have a dwarf but just turn it on its head and make him different make him i literally different. i literally have a dwarf who is pretty much recognition of half work so he pretty much like like meets the main character and he's the main character here's his name and he has like it he's using like his clan name or as a half orc and the character recognizes that and he actually speaks orcish at the, at him and he responds back but he's like like a dead sword big dwarf and then he's hearing here speaking like this orcish uh, kind of language which is the language is, is having like they are very deep uh of them but it's they have like both of these races may have like deep voices but you definitely can tell like the orcish probably is a little more uh darkish kind of language forbidden kind of language uh to be here while the orc uh white dwarf being like a little more uh weight um like not normal be like um but yeah <laughs> I always um, try to find like generators for languages, especially, and uh, to get like an, a a feeling of how that could be. 
because especially like people like talking over there who are starting like creating their own languages and many people have starting like making their own uh, there are many things that helps you to get like a better feeling when you create a new races um, or like characters in races that exist or you have or races that you have created but you may have based them to something Right, now that brings up an excellent point, uh, the language. Uh, that is a major difference between traditional and uh, web novel practices. Uh, where you have okay. invented languages, uh, that is uh, very frowned upon from what uh, basically I was told, that readers aren't really into that as far as web novels go. Whereas in traditional novels, they're much more appreciated. Yeah, uh, I... Like, I try, like, my character, when he speaks, like, in different languages, I pretty much have, like, the translation of it, I'm not actually writing, even if I could probably, like, write it in that language and in that other language, but, yeah, it's probably gonna be weird for the for the audience of the world nowhere to read it that way. Uh, did you have something to add, uh, Miss Reality Bites? Yeah, yeah, I'm very interested in, you know, um, using trope characters and then uh, give them flaws to make it fresh so I actually have uh, I, I, I do that a lot and one of the characters that I really like handsome men I'm not gonna lie about it so in my books usually I have like <laughs> gorgeous gorgeous men like that's why women they love reading my books anyway so I have this <laughs> this character he's like imagine like well I see like the handsome elf like he's a good archer and everything but I make him dumb. <laughs> so he's a narrow-minded guy. Uh, sometimes not really dumb, but he's slow. So you can see, like in a glance, he's like this amazing-looking guy, and he's like, uh, you know, uh, with his arrow and stuff and bow and, and etc. When he opened his mouth, like you know, he would say some stupid things. You know, like when uh, his friend. Uh, to see his baby for the first time and everyone was like ooh ah oh my god how cute he was like he was he tilted his head trying to see how how beautiful is the baby that everyone was ooh ah ing and then he looked and <laughs> oh these people blind this baby is ugly you know like but he, he didn't say it you know openly otherwise he would get punched and and you know like so it's refreshing even though he's handsome he's awesome and he's a good warrior but i i make him dumb and it becomes it becomes funny it becomes becomes refreshing yeah. yeah and like another another example is that you know the king the male lead he he was he was forced to hunt down his wife because he the 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 the, the woman was framed uh, for killing uh, her mother-in-law so uh, the king was forced by his father and everyone you have to you have to uh find her you have to kill her blah 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 and it's like i i don't believe she killed my mom but yeah to, to please everyone he set a bounty for her head like one thousand gold coins and and when his friend came the, the stupid handsome guy he said if you don't believe your wife is is the killer why are you setting up bounty for her one thousand gold coins and it's like because I've I've sent other people to do secret mission, so these people I send them to spread news underground that a mysterious client will pay them fifty thousand gold coins if they can bring my wife alive. So that means he's paying the whole world actually to protect the women because you know 
any sane man would prefer to get 50,000 gold coins if they can bring her alive instead of, you know, killing her to get 1,000 coins. His friend was like, oh, so okay. another person is willing to pay 50,000 gold coins for your wife? And it's like, that other person is me. <laughs> so he has to explain it to, to, to his friend. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just an example of how we can use flaws and re, re, uh, not rehash. I think recreating a, a typical character but make them new or make them different. I think, by the way, like something that uh, Mr. Byte mentioned, which goes back to the world building, is to think like what the economy system, like that's something that you probably need to think because, yeah, you may say like 50,000 coins, but what a good coin what it does represent so people like have to keep in mind something like that oh uh, yes yes obviously the value of currency would have to be established in your world and you'd have to make it clear that it's a large sum or a small sum obviously from the way she was talking uh, it's quite a large sum so yeah yeah yes. <laughs> next uh, as we talked about uh, or miss reality bites mentioned pantsing a bit earlier uh, i'm the first to admit that i'm a bit of a pantser when it comes to writing the omni mage however i'm also a huge advocate of plotting and planning while i may not have a massive outline detailing the rest of my novel i do still have major events that are planned the destination is clear but the journey to that destination is was fuzzy and made up as i go that being said, I take many notes after I write each chapter summarizing what I've written into a blurb and adding details to documents keeping track of it all. You'll likely have a large cast of characters that you need to keep track of and details for each one. Also, all the details of your world's lore. Lore is integral and any slip up there could create plot holes. Keep all that history safe and organized, you'll likely have quite an extensive list of locations, shop names, inns, and other details that you may need again later. Other races and creatures, if you have any, also need proper descriptions. I don't just mean physical. Make sure you know what makes them tick and makes them worthy of a place in your world. If you're just starting out, I highly recommend using Scrivener to keep, tra uh, keep everything organized and easily accessible. There's a free trial of Scrivener if you want to check it out. However, if your budget is tight or you want something more old school, simple notepad files or Word documents can work too, if you keep them organized and name them properly for easy access later. Now going back to creatures, dark fantasy is usually ripe with fantastical and often horrific creatures. Uh, Nagillion, can you tell us a bit about your creation process there? Yeah, um, as some of you guys listening might know, um, I create quite a varied amount of original creatures and monsters um, for my worlds, and I've been doing so ever since 2016, when I started as a creative. But the way that I would like to start off when I make a monster is often thinking what place in the world, society, or just purpose do they have? For example, um, a rather unique kind of species that I've made in a world called um, King's Vessel for a game I worked on is, I don't have a name for them yet, but we called them the Bone Tribe. Essentially, um, the whole aspect of them was that there was a wall. Um, giants was being felled in what became a dark forest that 
became dark because thousands upon thousands of giants were killed and just left there to waste. Um, so the forest just took the life and carcasses of these monsters and then built itself off to become quite dark and grim in itself. But from within that, um, a new species rose up. And that was the species of um, the Bone Tribe, which has a special, um, really heavy, front, like front-heavy gorilla type of build, but also slightly lizard folk. Basically just growing from these small ashes and um, bones that were left. They learned that in order to fight and to survive in this dark forest that was being created from this battle, they will need a power of their own. And from that they learned how to mend the bones, how to make the bones that they were being risen up from as a species become a power and a weapon for them. And that way I decided to make a whole society, like how would they use these bones, how would a ritual come out from it. For example, choose like a birthing bone that would be the very core of their power to symbolize and be an extension of themselves. And then from there on, okay, so this is how they fight, how would the society work, how would the whole area that they came to life in work, and then slowly create basically your whole own society and your whole species out from that. Then of course when you go for how they look like, it's just a matter of what you like to see them as. Um, I like to see them as quite front-heavy lizard folk that um, just are fighting mostly for brute force, but there's still some that can attack f through archery or assassination. Um, another species that I've made is, I call them imps, but they're basically, um, the heads are that of skulls, that just of bone. With the slits, like the opening for the eyes, is just a fiery fire that protrudes in, from the inside. Um, and the way that they came from, like as a species, like from birth, essentially, they are from their mother. When she she has like cops, so like from for, for example, three of them to six. But they will grow out of her bones, like they will from within, their heads will be affixed to her bones from within and then come to life and then grow out like fruits essentially from inside of the um, body of the mother. And then at the end, when they are primed to be birthed, they basically just rip themselves out of the body of the mother, killing her in the process. So in that way that she was, like they, as a species, they come to life, I was thinking how would I describe the blood red goal that is that buff? And with that, it is a quite elongated skull they have, um, where their fur and their bodies are basically also off bone, like their tail is basically a whole spinal cord just extending off in the tail. It's just a bone, it's nothing more. And a fur, which they have, which is the only non-bone thing on their bodies, is blood red. To symbolize that they came out of death from the mother. And they're basically weighing the color of the mother's blood with them along the way. Yep, and that's a dark fantasy author for uh, you. That, that's dark <laughs> fantasy author, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just what I do. I think... 
like something that we have discussed in the past um like personally we have mentioned um it is a thing like when you're creating like a mo like in a type of monster by by yourself is also like the name because like when like we said like when you hear like an imp many people may have like different kind of thing depending like if they are like playing D&D, they may have like the image how they are there if they do that and that and then so you when you use like a specific one you like you have to uh completely like give them the the idea and, and explain to them like how much different like this is and of course nagi as he has done right now he has done a great job of describing uh the difference of like how he's in with possible other rooms in different kind of uh, books, games, or whatever is um, uh, different on what separates them. So I think like if you create something else, either you need to give like a name that is original or if you use a name that may not be that original to decide what the, the separation may be and give like your own touches over there and giving like a background of like the way of creating is the that's why he looks like that is probably like a good way to, to think about that yes and creating creatures um also includes races obviously with a fantasy race um of sentient people uh you have to give a, a lot more to the creation process but the creatures in themselves still need quite a bit of inf information and reason for being in your world and obviously original appearances as well. Does anybody else have anything else to add for that? By the um, way, I... you ask for us to check on the chat in case people have questions. <laughs> Almost forget that. So there is a question here from Afan. He asked about, I wonder which one is better, making a completely new high fantasy world from scratch or just modify an already well-known one. I think because, you know, we're talking about new races, language, world building, etc. This would be a good question to, you know? Uh, for a it's, using it's a world to... that's already well-known, uh, I mean, this is kind of for the Q&A section, but uh, might as well answer oh. it now. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Um, basically, for high fantasy, it needs to be a completely invented world. I mean, you can use somebody else's world, but to me, that's kind of like cheating. <laughs> Um, you can do it, but I mean, who who created that world? Can you actually use it, and is it okay to use it, or are you just writing a fan fiction in their world? There's a lot of things there, and obviously, if it takes place on Earth, it's technically not high fantasy; it's low fantasy. There's something to be said for inspiration, though. So, you could take um, elements that you love from different sources. And maybe put a little bit of spin on them to make them your own. So you don't have to invent everything from scratch. Um, I'll give you an example, right. which ties into you talking about races. Um, I've got elves in my story, and um, they're not your generic elves. So I, I bring what I do is I do I bring in tropes, and then I turn the tropes on their head. So what I did is I looked at Tolkien mm -hmm. and I researched where he got his inspirations from, and he got it from. Um, Beowulf and the uh, the Eddas written by um, story uh, a Viking who lived about 900 years ago and and then I went to those and I, I saw what their names were and, and what they were a little bit about there was not a lot of information on it but what I did then is I took I made uh, Sabat Alpha, Merc Alpha and Doc Alpha and then I said 
okay, there's a bad elf there, and I sort of made them like wood elves. They lived in the forest. They were very ruthless, and they were, they were very, like, they would be more like an animal as far as like a tiger. Okay, if I'm hungry, I'll kill this thing, but I don't feel guilty about killing it, and I eat it. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, but then I'll protect the forest. So they're very wood elfy. Um, um, and then I had the Merc Elfar, which were a little bit like Dark Elves, but I put a spin on it, and they're very magical. Um, and then I had the Doc Elfar, which were the most original. And uh, and the and the reader will think, oh, they're going to be dwarves. They're going to be dwarves. But then when they actually meet them, they got dark skin and they wear goggles because they're underground all the time. So they're a little bit of a mix between a dwarf and a gnome and a and a mole person, and they they craft stuff like dwarves. Um, but but, you know, they don't look and think like dwarves. They don't have beards and things like that. So what I did is I took the stuff I loved in there and then I put my own spin on it. Um, so that's that's a way you can that's a way you can create a high fantasy world without having to think of everything original yourself. Just take elements of things you love, put a bit of spin on it, make it your own, and then those building blocks come together and can be your own high fantasy world. Yes, yes, well done. I, that is exactly what you want to do. Uh, it, obviously, we're going to draw on inspiration, uh, whether it's subconscious or not. <laughs> uh, we're influenced by everything in the world. Uh, everything you've read uh, is going to influence you in some way or another. If you're creating a high fantasy, odds are you've already read some high fantasy, and you like aspects of it. And you might have a particular novel uh, which you uh, kind of might borrow small traits from. In the beginning of my novel, I pay homage to... Robert Jordan, uh, the author of The Wheel of Time. Uh, just a small little paragraph where it's um, an obvious homage, but I'm not... It's still making it my own, but you can tell that that's where it kind of originated from, uh, just as in a simple little introduction. Next, we're going to get into dialogue. Uh, we briefly mentioned this uh, with uh, the Shang Pen, uh, where I've created a character who had uh, basically <laughs> um, I had him create a character for me because I was putting friends and things uh, into the novel I was letting uh, my friends make characters for themselves either I made it for them or I let them choose certain aspects he requested um, that <laughs> his character spoke with a French accent and wore a hat so I made that happen so I actually took a part of my world, which I hadn't developed yet, but it still existed, and created basically a dialect for that region of the world. So now everyone in that, because of him, <laughs> everyone in that region now speaks with a French accent. But um, yes, uh, let's get into other things. Um, when you're writing dialogue, especially between members of different civilizations in your fantasy world, remember that how people express themselves conveys something about their nature. Use sayings and matters of speech to strengthen the reader's sense of your character's common attributes as well as differences. Try to use action wherever possible to advance the plot and keep lengthy conversations as breathers between sections where there is great tension. We can all be guilty of not adhering to this at times, and that's okay as long as your story is engaging and keeps moving forward. It might be more dramatic character development in your dialogue rather than action. But sometimes characters just, you know, talk. The dialogue lets your, your reader get a better sense of who they are when combined with your narration. 
As I mentioned earlier, using different dialogue styles is a great way to add depth to a character and let the reader know more about them without having to actually explain it. For example, Lord of the Rings, when Frodo's friend Sam is caught overhearing an important conversation, he says, I wasn't dropping no Eve, sir. His speech is reflective of the Hobbit's rural and plain talking qualities. Compare this to the lyrical and flowing speech of the elves. When a white horse appears, uh, Legolas says, That is one of the uh, Miras, unless my eyes are cheated by some spell. The elves tend to ha use passive voice, add more complex forms of tense, setting them apart from the other races. Moving on, I'll cover naming. While you may be inclined to invent strange, fantastical names, as a general rule of thumb, try to create names that readers shouldn't have trouble pronouncing. In the R.C. novels, the protagonist isn't called Tiragnankan or Ananaxian. He's simply called Ged. It's a, still an uncommon name, and the simpl simplicity fits the style of the story. High fantasy is epic in scope and typically has a large cast of characters. Think about how you can use names to convey aspects of your characters. This will help keep them memorable. In Lord of the Rings, for example, Sam's simple, familiar name, abbreviated from Samwise, suits his easygoing and dependable nature. Compare this to the arcane-sounding name of the fallen, corrupted wizard, Saruman. You can obviously see the contrast there. Now, uh, Nagillion also uh, loves to do this. Uh, he will research and go into different languages uh, that suit the race or where the character's from and choose names that way. Uh, would you like to tell us a little bit more about your process there? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so one, one way that I do it in particular is that um, I like to refer to languages and origins from my own world. So what purpose and from what origin does the character, the creature, whatever I do have? Is it more Egyptian? Then I take further from Arabic cultures and everything, just play around with how their soundings are actually being portrayed in the language and then try to create my own thing there. Um, but since most of the things I'm doing are more um, Germanic or English based, especially because I have something like a Wendigo, um, I would go more into Anglo-Saxon and actually create my own species names. Um, I have, for example, um, because, you know, everyone knows giant spiders. I have giant spiders in my own thing. But what, what are the names of the spiders? So it's just like giant spiders and then you, you go on from there. Um, I decided oh, to give them my... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I like to, just because I'm also do, go, going for more of a bone themes. Like I love bones and love skulls and I want to focus on that with the spiders as well. So for that, I went into just getting my own name for them. And what I basically did was I went to um, a translator from Anglo-Saxon to modern English and just did a bit, few words, like what reminds me of, a sp of these spiders. So it's a demon, it's a spider, it's web, chaotic in a sense, it's frightening. And I took those words and then combined them. And the end, and then I got Wengus, which is has a weird pronunciation, but like written-wise, it looks rather nice. And that then became the name for my giant spiders, 
because of a combination of um, demon spider um, webs, I think. I did just those three words and then combined them together and then got my own name. Which fits the origin of the whole area and everything they're in because I chose, again, the more Germanic English-based environment. I must say, like, in my case, because, like, my, like, the main book that I write, because it is, like, a video game world, so pretty much, like, the players, like, have, like, unusual names. I don't go with Dragon Killer 420 or something like that. Give them, like, actually <laughs> normal kind of names, but they have, like, a meaning um, behind it. Either it's, like, personality thing or not. And, like, I have named, like, two brothers who are actually... Um, is is the word translating in Japanese, and it's, like, uh, Hineko and Miss Hineko, I believe. And it is, like, Fire God and uh, uh, Water God, I believe. And like the the the, the mission ago, which is the water god, the reason is that because he is a mage that he's actually using like the water, specializing in the water element. Although, so it is like almost a little um, thing about me, like on the way that they want to progress in the game, like they have put in like in the character um, on the name of the character because they have the option of naming like their own characters. And yeah, I try to like, especially like in the players' names, to give them like this kind of thing. Like, I named the rogue a character who likes to like to make deals and things like that. It's just named him Price um, because you like gonna make everyone pay the price uh, to him and things like that. So I think it is like a, a very strong thing like just a simple name it's a simple like giving a name to something to even give them of like what the person like being a represent um, representation of what the personality going to be or like either they are or they're gonna be yeah like scully um message in the chat um fantasy name generators.com is a brilliant place to uh, go if you're having trouble naming uh, they have names for so many different types of things and you can try to draw your inspiration from there or just use one of the generated names uh there's just yeah. so much there for so many different things that you could need naming for <laughs> it's ridiculous including real world names yeah, yeah okay. i i always like i use that every now and then for like characters who but i like to keep like a yeah using that inspiration if not like uh just using it for uh it's a nerd kind of name that i got yeah. needed but yeah it's a great tour and and we probably would go that where the we go like for the seminar for the word building but there are like a lot of tours online or node that can help you in that and yes absolutely i'm um i've got two cents on this one too Soren. i um with naming characters i try not to name a character unless they're important unless they're going to be hanging around so it might be i'll give them their role their job like, like the miller the baker the the guardsman the the captain so if they're not hanging around for long i won't give them a name because the readers can't remember all the names of all the characters i have already um and so you know as you said before i've got a huge document of all the the magic system names all the substances and everything yes. to make for crafting and everything um but another thing I do is because my characters are 
I try one of the things I'm always trying to do when I'm writing is I want to immerse the readers in the world. I want them to feel like they're in the world. So I try not to do things that pull them out of the world, um, which are things like asides or and, and things like that. So I'm always trying to keep them in the world. And one of the things I do is um, because the characters are exploring a new area or a new part of the world, they'll come across a creature or monster and I'll describe what it looks like. Then they'll fight it because it's aggressive and they have to fight it and I'll work out what <laughs> right, the strengths and weaknesses are that they're fighting it. But they don't know what it's called. They don't know what its name is. Exactly. So they just make up a name. They just call it, oh, the big lizard thingy or something. Whatever the characters decide to call it. And it's not technically its name. Like they'll know things like, oh, that's a sort of a troll. Um, and so then they just say, this is a forest troll, this is a, this is a cave troll, or this is a mount. So there are things like that. But, uh, but then, you know, when they come across the lizard thing, um, they'll, just, they'll just make it up um, um, based, <laughs> on, based on what it looks like. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine. And that is normal. Like, that's what you would do. If, you've see, if you come across some creature you've never seen before, and you have no idea what the hell it is, you're just going to say whatever pops in the mind for what it looks like. Yeah, and also, like, the thing is, like, even, like, for the names of action people, like, you're not, like, it's not gonna be, like, realistic in, in a sense of, like, going, like, the the character goes to a new town and has to go through the guard. The guard is not gonna say, oh, hello, I'm guard William, welcome to our town, how can I serve you? No, he's just gonna do the inspection and then let him go. Right, right. There are yeah, some cases like, where they might introduce themselves, but yeah, overall, they're not going to just come out with their name yeah, if they don't need to. Yeah, it's not going to be like <laughs> everyone is going to be <laughs> introducing themselves to the to the main character just by seeing Exactly. <laughs> and odds are the main character really doesn't give a shit. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to cure the wizard that you have problem with. Just let me go in. Yep, I'm gonna kill you. I don't know what your name is, but I don't really care because you're gonna be dead. And we're moving on. <laughs> so, uh, basically, writing high fantasy is challenging because of the scope and creation and invention it requires. Provided that you plan ahead, spend some time coming up with particulars on how your world works, and avoid the pitfalls of common uh, genre cl cliches, you can write a high fantasy novel that makes readers reluctant to leave your fictional world. So, moving on, does anyone have anything that they would like to ask in regards to uh, high fantasy? Uh, this will be the Q&A section. So, the chat, uh, go ahead and ask whatever questions uh, you'd like to ask. I think I had I had seen like a I think it is like it was like a general question, but I think like it is interesting. Like, is it okay to um I can't find the the person that asked it, but if it's okay to self insert yourself like in your book? Ooh, that it is okay. It is perfectly fine to do that. And odds are, as a writer, you're gonna put yourself into one of your characters one way or another. But to fully put yourself in there, um. You could leave yourself open to a lot of judgment if uh, you can handle it and you have thick skin like you should as an author. But, um, yeah, people might th look at you, the author, differently based on how you portray your character in the novel. Yeah, yeah. The, the one who asked it, by the way, was uh, Lico, I believe. L-I-C-O, so it's a fun Okay. Um, yeah. 
to, to add to that, um, so for my character Mika, as some of you might know, I do torment him with all types of mental trauma. And in regards to that, um, even though it's not exactly the same thing he goes through that um, I've gone through, um, especially, like, I'm in a sense putting him through what I've been through in my own life. Um, and the way that I'm writing him is um, because I see myself, like, I've, as someone knows and probably Xing as well, I've told them, I've gone through quite a hell in my life. Um, and what, what I do is I see myself as a warrior, like, I've come out of it all stronger. But I'm writing Mika as a, yes, he's getting stronger, but what he's going through is actually destroying him and breaking him down. So that's a way where I use something of myself and what I've been through to write and progress my story, but just in a different way. Right. I think that's the, that's the best way to answer that question is put a little bit of yourself in your characters and stuff that you know, but don't, I don't like to, don't like to say don't do anything, but in this instance, I think don't put yourself in the story. Put, put yourself in the character. I mean... I mean, even like I think, like even subconsciously, you're gonna put like yourself or like others that you know in 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 the characters in the book. But yeah, like don't try to uh, like completely like make your own character like be you. Um, yeah, on parts of it, yeah, probably is like the best. And I I personally have actually given like the name that I'm using like in online like to the main character, which. I must say, like, I'm regretting, uh, but he's <laughs> nothing like me. He's, like, like personality-wise and, like, way of acting and things like that. Like, he, like, the name is the only thing that we have. We are using in common, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely would not want to put my name into my novel. Um, or myself into the novel. I might put little aspects in certain characters, but that that's as close as I'll get. <laughs> Yeah, same, same. I, I mean, I, I would put like some views, some background, some, some aspects of myself in different characters, not in, you know, solely in a main character or whatever. But yeah, I put a little bit of, you know, things that I believed in or things that, uh, for example, like resilience or certain characters and etc. But not of one single character would be, you know, taken from me. And if readers ask me in the comment like is 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 this character inspired by you i would be horrified it's just me i i don't i don't i don't want to share that much about myself to the world that's just me but you know uh, everyone writes differently they have basically just just you know everyone is different but if it's me i would never put me in my books uh you know it's it's don't want to share that that much i mean like some that we, we have mentioned like in the uh in in this seminar is like what Soren has done when he asked me and others like to make characters like and he's actually and i doing the same thing every now and then we are using like aspect of the with those characters of the people that are based off but they are not like exactly them mostly because we don't know each other that well because we are only like <laughs> talking through the internet platform but we of course like giving our own um our own touch to that like yeah um, plus i like being able to just play with 
uh, your characters and just make you do whatever I want. <laughs> the puppet master. Yes. So, um, all right. Then I guess I'll wrap it up here. Uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the seminar. I'm uh, not exactly sure what the next seminar is going to be. If you have any like to shed on that, Nagi? Uh, I'm planning for the next one to be sci-fi. Sci-fi, brilliant. That. Yeah. That'll be fun. So I hope you guys all can uh, tune into that. Uh, we'll announce that when we have more information. Thank you all for listening, and uh, hope you guys have a great day. Bye-bye. What's fun? Bye-bye. It was great. Thank you so much. And, you know, I learned so much. So thank you, Sorin, for the, the sharing. Uh, my pleasure. Bye, everyone.